Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use disorders, resources to assist individuals with an SUD and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. We are bringing you something a little different this time. Recently, I had the opportunity to chat with some of our organizational stakeholders about the work they're doing. In our first episode of the new year, we get to hear from Honesty at the McShin Foundation, Elizabeth at Sea Change Recovery Community Organization, Tanya at ConLink Incorporated, and Ruth at ASAP's New York Certification Board. Stay tuned for stories from the field. And without further ado, let's get talking. Hi, listeners. I'm here with Honesty Liller from McShin Foundation. Honesty, you want to go ahead and kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am Honesty Liller. I am a woman in long-term recovery from addiction, gosh, since May 27, 2007, so 14 and a half years now. And I am a proud alum of the mission. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, recovery rocks. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I've been able to walk in my purpose um, because McShen took me in um, on May 28, 2007 with no money, just a couple bags of clothes and now here I am, the CEO, eight years later, and I've officially been working here full time for 14 years. So I started working here when I was a baby, five months in recovery. <laughs> so I just kind of moved out and started working here and just kind of never left. I just have my own home now. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, really how I got here um, to McShen mm-hmm. after 14 years of using nine of those years after I overdosed when I was 17, my family tried to fix me for about nine years and I did everything back then, uh, for my opiate, specifically heroin addiction until I found McShen and coming here and living in the female recovery house. Congratulations. That's quite the story. I, I hear that, um, from a lot of folks in McShen, how they really grow you up there and it seems like mm. once you, <laughs> you, once you're there, oh, yeah. you're part of the family for long term, right? <laughs> yeah, forever. Our, we got a great alumni um, chapter here, and probably 92% of our staff um, have all lived in our housing. So, obviously, John, he is the Shen. He created McShen with his wife, Carol McDade. Has not, um, but, and then our COO went through another program, but for mostly, um, yeah, all of our stuff, we try to create jobs. You know, a lot of people that come through here are felons and it's hard in Virginia to get a job when you're a felon. So uh, we just try to do what we can, um, at least get them on their feet. You know, I'm just, I guess, uh, a permanent (laughs) staff. Um, I kind of... I never knew in a million years I would be here this long, like a be alive and stay in recovery this long, but work mm-hmm. in this field. Um, I've made this a career and this isn't a job to me. This is a full blown lifestyle for me. So it's pretty cool. Again, I just, I love the longevity of that. And I love the, the heart and soul that McShin pours into their folks. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your role and what you do there now? Sure. You know, I started out again, a baby new person in recovery, you know, kind of, we kind of just were winging it back then. We had three recovery homes and Mm -hmm. one was female and the other two were male. And we had just a couple little offices down in our, well, now this is a full blown recovery center, but down here in the church at Hatcher Memorial Church. And 
I guess it took, I mean, it took a lot of years to kind of build where McShen is now. It was probably about a $200,000 a year budget. Now we're 2.3 million. We are actually getting ready to open two more recovery homes because we're full um, with the men's side, for sure. The women is, is getting close to the full. So we'll have 14 houses soon. Right now we officially have 13. So we'll have 14 soon. Um, and again, we've just grown, you know, to what we are. So for my role, the beginning was helping other women because there was no female staff when I lived here. It was just John and two other men. So that was interesting because <laughs> yeah. uh, I was a big brat. I thought I knew everything. I cried all the time. <laughs> John scared me. He's a Marine and I did not like him much. And now we're, <laughs> we've been in a relationship for 14 years now. So we've had our ups and downs for sure, but it's beautiful. And, mm -hmm. um, that slowly just, you know, the negative outlook on addiction in, in Virginia and in our community was huge. It, it is nothing mm -hmm. like it is now. It was huge. We had to fight. We had to do a lot of blood, sweat and tears. You know, we had to work very hard early on to be not just help the humans that we were serving, but also advocate to the public that we can be productive people in society. You know, we can pay taxes and the number one, we can vote, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> we do a ton of, ton of uh, advocacy. So my role now that's developed throughout all of these years um, is to be the female leader of McShen, number one. You know, I have a lot of expectations, you know, a lot of, of uh, what that looks like, you know, as a woman, um, because John and I, he's the president, I'm the CEO, but I am, and it's publicly known, going to take over, I guess, when he finally does retire in a few years. And, um, you know, that is the biggest part is being a female leader, not just in this field, but in the nonprofit sector here in Virginia, specifically Richmond. So I'm a face and voice. I am on a ton of committees, coalitions, but also I do since COVID hit, uh, we had to lay off some positions because, you know, the whole world didn't know how they were going to get a paycheck and stuff. So mm -hmm. I am also the director of development. So I do a lot of the fundraising, um, the events, the donor cultivation, the super cool, neat things that we do at McShen to try to incorporate to the humans that we serve. So it's not just groups and it's not just pathways of recovery. There's life skills and fun activities that we um, incorporate as well. So that's me just really building relationships and keeping the relationships in our community, but not just here in Richmond or Virginia. Um, I go nationally. You know, McShen is nationally known and um, I try to do whatever I can on, you know, that perspective as being a female leader. I'm hopefully going to Florida next week, um, but we'll see how that goes. And, and I'm going to be speaking at a, at a conference. So that's, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do and I like doing it. I thought, um, you know, I just don't, you know, when you second guess yourself and like sometimes I've gone through phases of my recovery in my life of like, oh my gosh, am I going to be at McShin forever? I started here <laughs> when I was five months in recovery, you know, but like we keep it fresh here. Like I have to, as my addictive nature, like I have to keep it fresh and it can't be monotonous or stagnant. So we, I, that's why I love what I do in my career. Cause I can also, I was at, at our female program house yesterday and I ran a group so I can also help the women, um, mm -hmm. but have a bigger, I guess, role of like making sure they're women, you know, the women and men, but I like to help the moms, but you know, mm -hmm. have somewhere to go to. So it's like finding money, grants, relationship building, all of that stuff. So it's a pretty cool career. Yeah. Sounds it.
go back for me and talk to me a little more about fighting that stigma, particularly in the Richmond and Virginia area and how the role McShin played in helping make that shift. Sure. So the Mick and the Shin. So Carol McDade is the Mick um, and she is married to John Shinholzer. So they are legacies in this field. Um, mm-hmm. They are uh, my mentors and they taught me early on like how to advocate because I was hardcore 12 step when I came into recovery and the, you know, the anonymity and everything. It was just sure. a lot of struggle. I never wanted to be on newspapers or like any of that. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, respect the 12 step community. Well, I learned early on because of them and Tom Coderre, you know, a bunch of people came down here and did the message and training from faces and voices of recovery. It was like a hundred years ago. And now look at Tom now, which I love it. <laughs> He's amazing. But Oh, yeah. Um, Really, like, so McShin is definitely the pioneer 1000% in the recovery community here in Virginia. I mean, there's 12 step, there's some Oxford houses, um, you know, all that was already here. But McShin came later in develop. We've been here 17 years now. So we've developed so many other things that aren't just you know, 12 step meetings or therapy or faith based. It's like a collaboration of so many different pathways, but also like how to advocate for those with addiction in their families. So early on, we're making pamphlets, making caucuses, going, walking down the general assembly, speaking everywhere we can possibly speak, 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 rotary clubs, the news, whatever, like our whole second floor here where the administrative office is is covered in news art of earned media, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so we were the force, you know, in the beginning and, and it's, you know, it's big for us, not even just to teach our staff and train our staff, but we train our people. So we train our participants how to advocate. You know, we train our participants how to tell their stories um, in a professional, you know, setting, not just sure. in a 12-step meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important for us to always have one of our people with us. So when I travel, I mean, it depends on that traveling, like hotels and all that, but like in a car, we try to take someone with us that lives in our housing to, or a new staff that's a new person in recovery um, because we hire new people in recovery sometimes. I don't know, I'm still here. Um, <laughs> but because um, you have to teach that next, like Carol has taught me, you know, you got to teach that next generation. You know, you got to teach like when we're gone and I'm on a tropical island somewhere, you know, <laughs> I want McShen to keep you know, keep going, keep flowing. So we have to continue to educate and train and empower and motivate. And, you know, it's not about just um, not using drugs anymore. It's more about like, what is your purpose as a human on this earth, you know? Mm -hmm. And and we dive deep in that and we have to start with policymakers. We have to start with family members. It, you know, this area was really big. It's not going to happen to my child. It's not you know, in my backyard. Um, and we've had to have a lot of like fights and it's been very, very stressful. Um, I've cried a lot. Um, it's, it's very, um, takes a toll on you. I've neglected my kids and my husband, um, you know, in order to have a bigger purpose, you know, and help the community. Now I'm, I'm great at it and and I got everything (laughs) intertwined. I mean, I'm, I'm good at it. I'm not great at it. Let me, let me rephrase that. Um, You can own it. You're great at it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm pretty damn good. I guess that's what I'll leave it at that. But, 
Um, so face the nation, John and I were, were on, you know, anything. We get so many emails. We just got some this morning, rotary clubs. Hey, can you speak here? Can you speak here? And we never say no. So if it's not me, John or Jesse, which is our COO, it, mm-hmm. we, all of our staff, we train them in messaging, you know, and then they see us they, and some of our staff have been here for years. So they see how it's flowing and I don't have all the answers and McShen isn't it is the end all for a lot of us, but you know, it's really important to have data as well, which I'm not a really big data chick. I'm a story chick. Um, <laughs> but you know, but be educated on what is going on specifically in your community and then events. We are the queen and king of events <laughs> here in the Richmond area. So we've been having events since I came out of the recovery womb here and it is we were having one a month and then COVID obviously hit and put a damper, but we're getting back in action. But we invite all policymakers to our events and both parties, all parties show up. Um, some call and say, when is so-and-so coming? So they don't have to, you know, it's all it's kind of weird <laughs> too. It's like, oh my gosh. So, but we have Nathan, which he is our um, director of outreach and he handles a lot of this stuff now. So John and I can, focus on he he's a visionary i'm the implementer um so we have specific staff now that you know have a huge you know reach in here in virginia and through rap the recovery advocacy project nathan is kind of spearheading that for virginia with ryan hampton and garrett and them which are friends of ours so really just constantly from the beginning being a voice but not being where Okay, I can speak for me, I guess. So not being where I can't speak for John, but for me, like not being where, you know, like in your face, you're wrong, we're right. You know, I think it's um, a way to um, positively, assertively, I kind of like refer myself as like a pink pit bull. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to fight for what is right, but I'm going to try to do it with love and a positive energy um, until I can't, I guess, you know, so sometimes you have to take the gloves off, um, professionally in this, in this, in this realm. Um, but I mean, in the past few years, it's been pretty, pretty flowy, you know, I think Virginia, cause we have VAR now, the Virginia Association of Recovery Residents. So they're getting a chunk of money now. Um, so after all these years of fighting that we're McShen's finally reaping, um, some of those benefits of the advocacy. But you, I mean, I'm not saying it. You can ask around, like McShen's definitely a pioneer in this field for sure. The thing is also because we do so much, it's not just like housing. We do a, a whole array of things mm-hmm. um, and our staff are freaking amazing. So yeah, that's really that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have a good team to make things happen. Totally. Can you also speak more to um, what it's been like to be a female and be a female leader in this world and kind of what that dynamic was like early on and where compared to where it's at now? Ooh, girl. Um, <laughs> as, uh, or as much early as on, I'll be honest, I, again, because I was so new in recovery. I mean, the first probably five years, like it was... It was a lot. I, I mean, I, I, I actually, I wrote a book, so I'm, I am publishing that soon. It's called Scattered Pink. Um, um, so that'll be out. I'm hoping for pre-sale by the end of this month. So check that out. It's short, quick read. I'm not a big book reader. I'm a, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a quick reader, but 
anyway, it talks a lot, a little bit about like women leadership and female leadership. And like early on, I was in John's shadow. I mean, that's just how I felt, you know, it was always John or John and Carol, John and Carol. And, um, I didn't know where I knew I was, um, going places, I guess in this world, but I didn't know. I knew one day I would probably end up leaving, um, just because of, you know, this is a stressful environment to work in. And also as a nonprofit in general, um, because I'm friends with a bunch of, in, uh, local nonprofit leaders and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a lot when you're in a nonprofit world, but something happened, growth, you know, getting mature, getting older. And I came into my own, you know, a lot of more people were um, asking for me um, to speak, you know, and, and a lot of more people um, wanted to have a relationship, the McShen relationship with me, because I was a little softer um, and easier to play in the sandbox with per se. Mm-hmm. And, um, And then I started like, you know, really feeling like the impact that I was making, not just here at McShen or in the recovery community, but nationally as a female leader. And then you get involved, shoot, what, the past five years where it's like really hitting home with like female leaders, um, not just in this space, but in general. And it's not just like, oh, woo, woo, I'm the CEO, right? And I'm an entrepreneur, so I own um, a company with John, too. We started and and I do a bunch of other stuff. But like the reality of it is I have this one life and I'm not here to prove anything to anyone. Um, but I am here to show other women that you can come from a life of addiction or whatever, not even just addiction, just a crappy life and work very hard and keep working on the, there's no really, I guess, end goal. I mean, I have some retirement. I'm start, I just started, you know, and I got two children. Like I know I have, you know, I want to be an old lady on the front porch with my husband with a <laughs> rocking chair. Like I'm a simple, super simple chick. Anyone knows me, you know, can ask, you know, we'll tell you that, but you know, I feel like it is my role as a female leader to lead appropriately. So take the ego out of it. And some days are harder than others, to be honest with you. Sure. Um, but also teach the women here, like how to um, advocate for themselves and advocate for the next woman that comes behind them. And like one of the young ladies I hired, I now have an assistant that helps me with events. Thank you. Um <laughs> but she calls me a brand and I feel really uncomfortable when she says it, but for like two seconds and I'm like, no, you need to own it because you've worked very hard to be where you are. Um, and other women need to hear that. You know what I mean? Um, and to be frank with you, I finally just kind of started standing up, but not just standing up because I'm a woman and this is, you know, the right thing to do. We got to share. It was more of, I earned it. You know, these are my education goals, which is another thing. Cause I've only been to Stanford for one week. I've never been a day in college besides the Stanford leadership program, which is my one week. I will take it. I went to Stanford, <laughs> nice. but it's really lived experience in all of the education and leadership trainings and everything. And just kind of 
my, my, I don't want to say failures, but things that I've messed up at throughout this and like learn from like all of my experience as a female leader and like all of my successes, but also stuff that I really needed to learn from and, and being quiet when I need to be quiet instead of being heard all the time. It was, you know, and I think it's a part of growing up, you know, starting, um, I was 26 when I came to McShen and now I'm 41, but you know, starting so young, I feel like 26, super young. My daughter will be 20 on Sunday. Um, and I still think she's this little baby, but she's not, she's growing to a young lady, but you know, I think it's this growth. Um, and really letting for me, I was a control freak for a long time here. And I know I was, and I've worked through that with, with my, uh, mentors and everyone that I utilize for my recovery, but also like with my higher power and, um, I write and I do all this uh, exercise is my biggest pathway of recovery right now. And, um, you know, I think it's like forever learning new things. Like, um, I just finished Brene Brown's. It's an old book, but a reboot of the gifts of imperfection and Brene Brown. Everybody knows. Woo, Brene. Well, it's like, it was like, man, I could write this book. Like, I'm like, wait, write a book. But like, this is like everything I say. And I never read the book. I just got it from the McShen auction. I want it. And it's a beautiful book. Quick read. I suggest it for any female. Um, but it was also like little things. Like, so I want to take a hip hop class. You know, it's just something that's weighed on me for years. And like, oh, I want to kind of just just one little hip hop dance class and just see. So it's like things like that like continually trying new things, but also like keeping your eye on the prize and doing your job. But um, how can you um, experience life in a different way, you know, on a week to week, day to day, whatever basis, try to do something a little different. Um, Because if I came to a job or a lifestyle where it's just like, and that has happened throughout my recovery where me and my husband have had to, you know, change some things up and go to therapy and, you know, it, it's just life, you know, but we got to keep it. I don't know. I just have, I'm surrounded unfortunately by death too. And um, it's taken a toll on me in the past few years. And I'm just like, live the best life that you can, you know, and it is it, simple or as beautiful or extravagant, whatever you can afford to, but you know, the biggest thing is like helping people, you know, helping people see that light, you know, the humans that you serve. So I guess that answered. I mean, I love being a female. I, I'm very empowering. I love being able to show people that they can do it too. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically the people that come through here. Thank you, Honesty. I'm scatter pink. I've got it written down and now our listeners have heard it too. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, that's super cool. That's that's something that's on my bucket list too. I don't know. I haven't. I don't think I've lived enough life yet to have content for a book, but it's on my bucket list to do one day. Yeah, yeah. I've lived a few a few lifetimes <laughs> now. So and it, and it's just it. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Is this is this something that weighed on me for a couple of years? And I just my husband basically said just. Be do it, you know, so it worked out and yeah, we'll see. <laughs> well, we're getting towards the end. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about McShin, about you? Is there anything you'd like to plug? 
just McShin, McShin.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, McShin is amazing. Uh, our staff are all in recovery. We have uh, almost 14 recovery houses. We actually do um, jail programs. So we just started two more. So we're in three different jails um, locally. So we deliver peer recovery support services in jail. We have family programming. You know, we have access and linkage to detox, to therapy. It's just a whole array of things. Um, just follow us on. So, I mean, that is the best way to kind of really, um, or check out our website at mcshen.org, but really follow us in all events. We're getting an events rolling again, golf tournament, fundraiser, all kinds of stuff is, is in the pipeline. So yeah, just, you know, McShen is, uh, we call it the McShen way. I mean, it's just a super <laughs> cool place to be. Um, it's hard, but it's beautiful. Um, it's rough, but it's calming too. So it's just a, a mix of emotions. We're hope dealers. So hope dealers. And, um, it's just important, you know, to try to help as many humans as you can, you know, so if you're out there listening, just try to help someone today. And thanks thank for having you. me. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you. All right, listeners, I'm here with Elizabeth Burke Beatty from Sea Change and RCO in New Jersey. Elizabeth, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? And we'll start talking about Sea Change. Hi, well, thank you for having me. I'm really, really happy to be a part of this. Um, yeah, I'm Elizabeth, and I, I live on a barrier island in New Jersey. Doesn't sounds like oxymoron, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not, it, believe me, it's beautiful. Um, not very well known. And um, I'm a person in long term recovery. Uh, I will be coming up on 30 years. Um, if, That's awesome. if one chooses to count the time um, and uh, of active recovery. So I'm also a family member um, and loved one of folks who have struggled with substance use disorders. So I have been in one form or another in this, uh, field or, or if you don't even want to call it that, like it's been in my life since basically the day I was born. Um, so I do, I do feel like I, I have experience. Um, I started Sea change RCO recovery community organization, um, just over a year ago, officially. However, I was sort of underground before that. Um, boots on the ground, doing things to help people. I am a harm reduction advocate. Um, I also do a lot of other volunteer work. I do organizing with or the New Jersey Organizing Project, um, where we work on um, economic security and dignity for all in New Jersey. Um, I bring a harm reduction voice to that group um, and work on, on advocacy and sort of watchdog funding that comes down through the system, things like that. Uh, I also really quickly, I have been, we've been a foster family. Um, we have fostered three babies, um, each of them for the first year of their lives. I've taken a very sort of active approach that hasn't maybe been done that often where I really try to establish rapport with the families so that I can, we can stay in each other's lives and I can offer ongoing support once the babies um, go back home. If they are in our case, they've been lucky enough to do that. Um, so I have, you know, I, I consider myself a bit of an innovator or, you know, trailblazer in certain areas because I don't, I'm just not the kind of person um, who likes to set, uh, you know, 
settle for the status quo, as they say. Um, and and so Sea Change is is like I said, it's a nonprofit. Um, everything we offer is free. Uh, we do one on one peer support for anybody. It doesn't have to be somebody. It can be somebody with obviously with substance use disorder, but we also offer it to loved ones and families and friends. And we use um, an evidence-based approach called the community reinforcement and family training model, which is evidence-based. Um, a lot of people, you know, I think it's it's gaining some traction. It's had a lot of success because it really does meet people where they're at on all levels. Um, and so we also offer one of the things that we've done a little differently with our RCO is we exist through our community partnerships. So we mm -hmm. offer a lot of activity. Um, we partner with CrossFit. We partner with yoga studios. We partner with surfing instructors, depending on the weather, you know, it's the season. Um, we, we offer, you know, Reiki through Reiki practitioners. We offer cooking classes, like anything that we feel can add to recovery capital. We find the people that already do it well, like whatever that is, right? Sure. Yeah. And we and we and we have them um, sponsor or offer opportunities to folks in recovery, um, and and we kind of try to mainstream it, not just because it's a practical approach for us financially, mm -hmm. um, but also because it destigmatizes who it destigmatizes folks in recovery because we're doing a lot of these activities out in the community mm -hmm. with already existing professionals. Right. Um, we do, you know, coffee houses um, at, you know, already existing coffee houses, you know, we do like crafting. Um, but we also do serious support groups where we mm -hmm. sort of, you know, honor each other's path. We have a special support group for families. We have a, we have an all recovery support group. Um, we, we don't have any particular requirements for membership in any of those groups. We often get a mixture of those who are in recovery. We sometimes get people who are still using and we sometimes get loved ones and family members all in the same room so that they can have a dialogue with each other that they don't normally get to have. So, and everything Everything that, you know, we create a safe space um, and and we hope that people find it a way to really understand each other's um, challenges and yeah. without judgment. And we have found by integrating those groups and not separating them. I mean, that's a big part of what we're trying to do is destigmatize, right? And to sort mm -hmm. of bring up into the fold as a community to help combat substance use disorder. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's what we've done. And we've partnered, I don't know, with a dozen different businesses. Um, and we have, let's see what else. And then we, you know, we have a huge, we've served over a thousand people in this past year locally. Wow. Yeah, it's been super, super busy. So the model that I created um, with this has really, you know, I, I basically I saw the need mm -hmm. and I tried to fill those niches. Right. You know, I tried to just meet the need 
meet mm-hmm. meet the community where it's at. Yeah. And how can I create something that will actually work that people can respond to and get buy-in from, you know, how can I get buy-in from the community so that everybody's sort of in this melting pot and destigmatizing. So yeah, that's, I guess it in a nutshell, maybe. Yeah, that's super cool. Can you talk me through kind of building those relationships with the community businesses? You know, whenever we talk substance use disorder, we have to talk about stigma because it's still out there and we're still trying to make that paradigm shift. You know, what, what was that conversation like or relationship building? Like, what did you feel like you met a lot of barriers or were most folks pretty open? You know, I think that has been interesting. I have also taken a tactical approach to that, but, and, and so what I've been doing is, Let's say I want, like, let's, I'm trying to think of a great example. Okay. I wanted to get into the local high school mm-hmm. so that all the seniors or anybody that, that I can touch knows we're here. And so we, we do live in, ex, in an, an extremely conservative area of which I am not. Okay. Um, hence tactical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Basically, what I did was I found out that the police department does a specific program called Not Even Once, right? That tells, you know, basically tells kids, like, don't do drugs. Just don't do it. Just say no. Right. <laughs> I'm a nice like, baby, so I immediately think of D.A.R.E. program. <laughs> D.A.R.E. Totally. Yeah. These, this is basically the new version of D.A.R.E., right? Um, but they they do talk about narcan and how to get narcan so there's been you know a little bit of anyway so i read what they present mm-hmm. and i met i i found out who the police officers were that do this this mm-hmm. is just an example and i, I went to I, I and so what i do there is i'm like okay who is this and then i i kind of look on Facebook. It's a small community to some extent. And, um, it, you know, if you do enough digging, it's six degrees of separation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I figured out how I was, you know, at, uh, what is it? How I, how I know these people or mm-hmm. connect with these people without knowing them. Mm-hmm. So through so-and-so and so-and-so that there's this like, you know, I do the, I do the, the interweb research and I find out like, okay, I can probably get a warm introduction to this police officer through my friend who owns this restaurant where he frequents. Nice. You know, Super so I got over here. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, this is kind of what I think it takes, but like, so, mm-hmm. so, so I say, I reach out to my friend and I'm like, can you hook me up with this, this guy? I know he's doing this course at the high school, blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, sure. And she already knows me, likes me and trusts me. Right. Mm-hmm. So she does. And um, I get this warm handoff. And next thing you know, I'm like, he invites me to come. He's like, oh, I didn't even know you guys existed. And I basically tell him what he wants to hear. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I can get into the classroom. And so it's the process, right? So then at first I'm invited to observe. Mm-hmm. Then I get 
to talking to them. Then I start to build rapport with these guys, right? Then I say, you know, I think I could really offer an interesting um, point of view to your curriculum because, and then I start to educate them more about harm reduction without even saying the words, right? Mm-hmm. Just and about the families and about what I'm seeing in the community and humanizing these, these, these people. Right. And they do see a lot of it when they get called because sure. people call the police. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is just one partnership. So now I'm fully in the high school and I will be training with them the next time they go out. And that has also led to me establishing relationships with the guidance counselors and folks like that, that may not be educated on what an RCO is and how we provide support and how we can provide more resources that maybe, you know, collectively, we're going to have a lot more than just one or two people. So more resources than the police have, more resources than the guidance counselors have. And we're making a pool of resources, right? So that we can really Mm -hmm. meet the community. Um, So, and that's how I'm trying to reach the youth right now. So that's just one aspect of a relationship that I've been able to cultivate. You know, I have a lot of different, I have like giant post, you know, this is what I do. Like, this is, this is why I'm, I uh, knew if I started this, I I could probably make it happen because I get creative about how um, I think my resiliency and my own recovery has taught me that I can read people pretty well. And, you know, when we are in our active use as people with substance use disorders, we can be pretty crafty, right? Mm-hmm. So when if we embrace our recovery, we can still be pretty crafty and use it for good. Yeah. And since I love that. feels yeah, and since I feel so blessed 30 years of recovery from so much trauma and all kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, I feel that it's important for me to embrace that craftiness and business sense and like make it happen and give back because I see people, you know, I've been watching people die. And I've been watching families suffer and someone, you know, if you have, if you feel you have the gift, then I think it's important to go for it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what a great strengths based approach, right? We, you know, we talk about evidence-based and I have a public health background. So you talk about any kind of systemic change. It's all about, you know, the harm reduction model of meeting people where they're at, but then also encouraging people's strengths. That's that's the way we make changes on a micro and macro level. And that's my life coaching background. And that's my coactive coaching approach where people have their strengths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's not one person that owns them all. Right. That has everything to give to everyone. Right. And the more we collect, which is why I love the model of an RCO and even the openness of how we can create RCOs as they're evolving. Right. Mm-hmm. So I feel that um, it's just super important for us all to bring our strengths to the table and show our strengths, meaning also our tools, right? Our resources mm-hmm. are what works for us so that we can also then present that to all of the rest of the community that maybe hasn't been exposed and let them pick and choose what intuitively feels right for them so that they can really take ownership in that, right? And mm-hmm. then they can, once that happens, you see recovery blossom, you know? 
or you see yeah. empowerment, you know, you see quality of life improve, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I keep bringing this up in several of my podcast episodes. So I'm sure the listeners are tired of me saying it, but to me, that's just that aspect of recovery capital, you know, building that life you don't want to lose and being empowered to choose. To me, that's just such like one of the best aspects of humanity or humanity at its best, right? Whether it has to do with someone who's on a recovery journey or not from substance use challenges, that's just people being living a good life. Right. And why, and why do we have to compartmentalize it? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do because everybody wants something to fit into a box. Right. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, okay, let's put, you know, substance use over here. Let's put, um, single parenting over here, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. so, but you're right. Like on some level, it's quality of life in general and how do we manifest that and how do we own it and how do we figure out what works for us so that we can have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is why I don't like grants <laughs> because I'm like very, you know, even when one comes out and I'm like, Oh my God, that looks really perfect. They're still going to want me to try to fit as I apply for those. They want you to try to fit things in little boxes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I just was was thinking about this. I think it's just an interesting quick snippet is like mm-hmm. for so long it was abstinence only, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's when I when I decided to go into recovery, my only choice was 12-step programs in basements mm-hmm. and cigarette smoke everywhere, right? Yep. I didn't <laughs> have money for rehab, rehabs, blah, any of that. It was like you either do that and so I think now as things are evolving and changing, especially mm-hmm. with um, equity, um, diversity, inclusion, and the, in those areas, right? Mm-hmm. I think we realize that abstinence only, um, first of all, is not as pragmatic as harm reduction. Mm-hmm. And back to the grand thing, when you have an all or nothing approach, you can, you can um, quantify that so easily. Right. You can put boxes, you can say, oh, we have this much recovery here. Or we have, and these are the people, you know, this is how we measure. Mm-hmm. And with harm reduction, it's harder to measure because it's not black and white. Right. So I'm really, and and I I don't want to be negative, but like, I'm really tired of our culture and the way things are set up, Um, especially in in funding mechanisms that they want all these black and white things on paper because it's not the real, it's not always realistic. It's not pragmatic. Mm -hmm. We need to learn how to live in the gray area and we need need to learn how to fund the gray area. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm newer to this world, but it does feel like we are, if I may offer some optimism and hope, it does feel like we are on this precipice of funders and the people with the resources are, are kind of getting it. They're kind of getting it. We're not there yet, 
there's still a lot of change to be made in their language. Mm -hmm. They're starting. Here's how I see it because I just went to governor Murphy's um, reception last night. It was virtual, but I got invited um, through the advocacy work I've done. So so here's because I'm watching it all, right? We have a we have a team of folks at NJOP, right? And we're watching um, all the bills and everything. So we and he, as I see it, you're right. There's a higher level of awareness, and in terms of politics and 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 um, policymakers, things like that, we're hearing a lot. There's more talk. There's more speak. There's more people recognizing, but I don't think that systemically they know how to walk the walk and they're not quite ready to have folks like me sit at the table. They're getting there, mm-hmm. but, and we're, but we have to fight for it. Yeah. You know, so I, I meet with local policymakers and I just literally say, just put me at the table. Let me have a voice. Right. Just let me have a voice. Mm-hmm. Because that will help them embrace what they're thinking and saying and put it into action. Because it's not fully in action. Right. Yeah. I think that's a very fair assessment. Like you said on a positive note, it is very exciting time. It is. Selfishly, I'm very excited to be a part of where we're at and what we're doing right now. Yeah. Well, that's about all we have time for. Do you want to share anything, plug anything for Sea change How can people get connected with you and the organization? Sure. So while we are based in New Jersey, um, we often have people that come to our virtual groups from all over. We have people regularly from North Carolina and New York City and and Massachusetts. So we are open. We will serve anyone. Um, and all of our calendar, up, our updated calendar, we consider our, our website, our virtual hub our central hub, because we do so many partnerships. So all information is always there. And the website is www.cchangerco.org. And that's S-E-A-C-H-A-N-G-E-R-C-O.org. So yeah, I just always tell people, please, please go because we I update it every week. Very nice. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right, listeners. Well, with me today is Tanya Harris, uh, co-founder and director of ConLink. And Tanya, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Tell me a little bit about yourself and what your organization does. Yes. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Tanya Harris. I am a uh, woman of color and in long-term recovery. I am also the, like Shannon mentioned, uh, the founder and director of ConLink, uh, which used to be called ConLink Foundation uh, back when we uh, initiated the uh, opportunity in 2002. So we've pretty much been around that long um, passive organization until we were awarded the 501c3 in 2010. So since then, we've been making attempts to uh, galvanize community members. Our, our primary focus, focus back at that time was re-entry and more specifically looking at people 120 days, 
160, 80 days before they came home from jail to kind of reintroduce him to all the nuances that's not really on paper anywhere on how to navigate getting back and not you know, going back to where you came from with being frustrated and all of that. And we had a couple of bids over the years, you know, spoke to a couple of people in the uh, Department of Corrections here in, in the state of Delaware, but never really got nothing off of the ground. And through, you know, sickness and all these other situations, we just kind of remained a quiet, dormant, passive organization with some of the people that they're probably going to hear preceding me over the next few days is really working and in the community. Well, we had an opportunity to get back around to some of the things we had cared about when the pandemic happened. And we kind of were all almost in the same town at the same area, you know, during the same time and kind of came back in our thinking and said, well, what would we like to see happen? And we got with some developers and Mm -hmm. created an app that we have been trying to move forward since then, and it's called K-Link. And we thought if we were still suffering, you know, as someone that was actively using, what would it be that we needed to kind of navigate and, you know, take a ideology of harm reduction? Because I also have been in the system for over 25 years as a professional. So mm-hmm. we've kind of seen the various nuances change from, you know, total abstinence to where we are today. And so we just try to continue to stay evolved with it. But we got this this app developed um, and we've been in the process of uh, trying to deal with uh, uh, NIH with some of the SBIR funding and just making a pitch to try to get someone to support the app in the meantime, we uh, haven't done any fundraisers. We've uh, just, you know, been around talking to people about some of the things we want and kind of spread our um, visibility so that people could see that, you know, we're on board and to try to get in and be a part of all of these national things happening, like end of addiction, the whole programs in New York, Faces and Voices of Recovery, Action Network and just trying to spread ourselves to be on in the in the space that we're all in and to see if uh, anything could come up with us to kind of help us further our efforts in getting this app because we don't want to really move it out there before we've had an opportunity to secure the rights to it and we don't have any money and we just kind of put it together. We actually scouted a whole bunch of developers and we found one company called Sunday Mobility that was mm-hmm. listened to us and developed it without a dime. And of wow. course, you know, we have to pay them, mm-hmm. but we've been able to give them some funding. But, you know, so this is kind of like the stages that we in, but our goal is to team the applications with peers, have them be out in the community and kind of track, monitor and help in community engagement and harm reduction philosophies and strategies with people that are every day in the communities and see where we go. So that's our vision. That is our attempt to use the tool, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is pretty much where we're focused at right now. And we're going to use all of our professional experience to kind of, you know, uh, build capacity for, for this opportunity.
Very cool. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the app? So would it be so people who are are working on their recovery or? Yes. So it would be so. You know, since we have broadened the the aspects or the ideology of recovery and harm reduction and things of that nature, we're not bent on, we're, we're trying to help people develop and find their own pathways to recovery. And sure. with that ideology, we can pretty much, if you want to move to abstinence, that's good. If not, we can kind of help you build momentum you know, because some of the milestones is being able to keep a job, keep stay employed, you know, have a roof over your head, take, you know, these type of things. So with all that being said, it's uh, for the uh, Android system and the iOS system. It is uh, the member has an app, the certified staff, because, you know, like I have mentioned before, I don't like using the word peer recovery because we interchange them a lot. So it'd be certified staff. There is a dashboard that will we'll be able to um, populate everything, monitor everything in real time, 24-7. It'll be a team approach to each individual. And we'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to talk into the app and ask for community resources, anything that you may need with, you know, it'll populate wherever you are, any state, whatever opportunity oh, wow. you have. And then... We have notes. We have a time sensitive chat. If you can't get one person to go to the next person to go to the next person on the team, it'll be elevated up to the supervisory tier and then the administrator tier, which will able to track all of your interactions. It'll be like a dashboard on the back end of that. So that pretty much is in a small terms what the application will do. So you are you know, be brought into it with a phone and an email address, you'll be assigned a person. That person will help you establish a recovery, a little less than case management, totally less than clinical. So in the middle of not being clinical, because this is a non-clinical approach to service delivery and sort of like warm handoff, sort of like street you know, kind of help you navigate to build yourself up again to get to a place and we can create treatment plans, milestones for you. And we're just looking for somebody to give us a chance to maybe pilot that opportunity with a group of people and see how it goes. But, you know, we do have a working demo for it on the Android system and uh, we're just going to see where it goes. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Have you had the opportunity it sounds like you're looking for the opportunity to pilot it yes. with a group of people, but have you been able to do that at all? Test it no. or just build the demo? No. Well, actually we've been able to test it within the, the developers and their teams. Whenever they do stuff, they like test it amongst each other. So mm-hmm. we uh, created a whole scenario where everybody had a code and, you know, we watched it on the board where they live at, they populated it in their community. Like, you know, it populates towards community hotspots. So say if I was in the state of Delaware and I worked here, I would know where, like the lower east side is the hotspot. So when we were able to see the person with the app on their phone in that area, someone could reach out to them. So that was just one of it. 911 responses, if you in trouble, that was another feature of it and be able to keep notes for you and, you know, basic demographics. And it seems to be pretty cool, but we really have been working on this since the pandemic. So just a little under two years. 
Wow. And we haven't even been able to get it to the next level yet, just because all of us work every day. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. no, no need to apologize. I get it. Yeah. So this app sounds incredible. It sounds like a great way to engage with folks who, for the user and for folks who also support those in recovery. Um, what else is that the primary function of your organization or do you all do other things? Well, we've, uh, since we hadn't really been able to deal with the uh, criminal justice, the way that we had wanted to, and we've kind of just continued to evolve and sort of retrofit, uh, some of our principles, our mission, you know, our vision is still to continue to serve the people that we know that are gray area in this service delivery system. So that is our primary focus. So we haven't really locked ourselves into anything specific. Yeah. We would pretty much take on what was the immediate need so that we can continue to evolve. It's sort of like based on the environment and, and in this time frame, you know, and like women and children or women that are, you know, on drugs that are pregnant and, you know, the MAT and just all the stuff that we know professionally, we've infused it in the work that we're doing. We just want to lead with the app because we have a good belief in the app. And we think that if we put the app in a team of certified staff and assign them to each, you know, each of them have a caseload and be able to get this bundled for recovery supportive services to be able to pay, we could kind of walk with people into their sustainable enough to, to find their own pathway or whatever recovery looks like. Gone is the day of full abstinence. I'm just saying I am, but I, you know, and I struggle with being a little open-minded to this, but because of the work that I do professionally and the stuff that I see, it's just, mm-hmm. it's no way. And then, the real exact nature is that I have children mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't suppose if they can't, would they not still be afforded a good life if they couldn't be like I am? So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to really limit the playing field for anyone. I've just changed right. how I've looked at it. Well, sure. It's a whole paradigm shift for the entire field. And that, I mean, whether it's recovery or not, or anything cultural, mm-hmm. it just takes time. Yeah. So, so those are the, um, but for the most part, you know, it is, it is the model of a little more, uh, less intrusive than, I I don't really like to use that, but like case management, like we're not requiring you to meet certain benchmarks, but we'll support you in meeting them so that you can carve out a life worth living for yourself. And that is our, our, our mission is to help you identify a life that is worth living, not based on my values and beliefs, but on your own. And if we can establish or set a goal for long-term recovery at some point, all the good, but but if not, should you be any less deserving of something that was, you know, worth having? So that is our mission. <laughs> I love that. It, I yeah, it's a big lift. It's a big, huge mission, but um, yeah, it it's simple truth, right? It's it's simple truth. Yeah, and we've also made an uh, 
not just for only you, but you and your family, like, you know, to Mm -hmm. try to incorporate the family dynamics in that supportive service as well, because, you know, we all, we, we, we get, you know, we don't use the word clean, you know, our language, everything is changing, right? So Mm -hmm. we, we get in the abstinence world. And then the first thing we want to do is try to repair those relationships that we've had with our family members when, you know, most of the, understanding of it is those are the last things that really get to come back to you. Like you really got to do some stuff for yourself first. And we have Mm -hmm. seen that family don't, they don't really understand the breadth and depth of Mm -hmm. this level of suffering. And especially with all the drugs that's in the world today, I, I'm glad I'm, I'm really glad that I'm here. Yeah, I, I don't know who would be able to survive now with the way that things are. I've been clean, you know, I've been in long-term recovery for a while. So just some of those things that we get to see day to day, we've, we're bringing all of that with our experience to the work that we want to do and kind of reimagine a delivery system that's inclusive. And, I love and, that. You know, to carve out a pathway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Tanya, one of the things I love asking folks in this world is why is this work important to you? Hmm. So it's a, it's a few things. Uh, you know, I've uh, been around for a long time. I've worked over 25 years uh, indirectly and directly in services or being a service provider I'm more of an administrative, you know, type of work today, but I've lost a lot of friends. I'm still losing friends, you know, to the disease of addiction and the level of suffering that people are in and that people are in that are abstinence in the way that they suffer too. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's it's always been like a passion of mine to be able to find some kind of niche to give back. You know, you can't, everybody won't fit into this, this paradigm here, but mm-hmm. maybe more people will fit in it than the way that it used to be. And then at the end of the day, I always think of my children, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because my children, I have two male sons, they're in their thirties. You know, the world is the way that it is. I can only mm-hmm. govern myself, but <laughs> yeah. if, 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 you know, I, I would like to be able to still control them to like they when they was little, but you know, I can't, I don't really have the authority to do that. So I'd like to see a world that if they not only in watching me, you know what I mean? But my nieces, my nephews, they all like 30 something now have a world where they could turn some kind of way. If they wasn't really ready to stop doing whatever it was that they was doing, that they wouldn't feel no less than. That, that's the whole thing right there. So whatever way we got to build it out and, you know, we keep, we're going to be running into a lot of policies when it comes to this harm reduction on state, local levels, federal levels. And we're going to need a whole shift, not just put the money on the grassroots level and have people shape services, but what happens when we get face to face with the medical criminal justice, Medicaid, Medicaid expansion states, who's going to cover this? Who, you know, it's way more work to do. Like you said, it's going, it's going to take a while, but I figure we got to start somewhere. 
So those are my those are my inspirations for just to see a better setup. Cause yeah. you know, back then you had to march to the you know, march, mm-hmm. march, you know, it was you were scared. <laughs> they were scaring <laughs> you. You're gonna die or you know what I mean? Like we was all young, crying. We didn't know what to think, but the it's not like that no more. And we have to evolve. Our 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 perspective has to change and you know, so that people won't lose their lives. So that's that's what I'm getting. Well, Tanya, for folks who are listening in, um, how can they connect with you if they want to support your app or be a part of the growth or maybe a listener is willing to try it out? How can they connect with you? Well, unfortunately, we we are on social media. We used to have a website, but, you know, I I won't bore the audience with that whole, (laughs) (laughs) you know, conversation with that. But that should be up and running again very soon. Um, we have a email address and, you know, we we're, if you Google us, we're, we're there. So, you know, Conlink is there, our mailing address, our contact information, everything. And you'll see all of our records, you know, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter. And, you know, I had to, somebody had to show me all that, you know, that, that kind of stuff. But we are on those pages and we do have them and I do send out things from time to time because I'm pretty much like one and a half, two people working to try to hold on to the, to the vision of all of this. And so that's how people can reach us. We are, we are, if you Google us, you'll, you'll find us. Yeah. I hope that was okay to say. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. That's the reason we're highlighting stakeholders. Do you mind spelling that real quick? Just so no, I don't. It's uh, K O H N L I N Q Inc. Wonderful. Thank you, Tanya. Yep. Thank you, Shannon, for having me. Absolutely. All right, folks, thanks for joining us today. I am here with Ruth Riddick of ASAP New York CB. There's lots of. Uh, alphabet soup, but I'll let Ruth explain what all that means for her and her organization. Ruth, thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, Shannon, what a pleasure to be here with you and with your listeners. Um, Yes, alphabet soup's just about the right way to describe it. And one of the challenges for somebody like me as community outreach at ASAP New York Certification Board is to keep breaking down those acronyms so that people can actually understand, you know, what the hell is it you're talking about, Ruthie? <laughs> <laughs> so um, so let's start with the title of, of my organization. Um, the New York Certification Board is celebrating 10 years um, in this year, uh, 2022. 10 Congrats. years of, thank you. We have been certifying peer recovery professionals. We issued our first ever certification on September the 1st, 2022, to uh, to somebody who's a revered veteran um, uh, of uh, the New York State scene and now lives in North Carolina, a woman by the name of Betty Courier. And some of your listeners may well have remembered uh, Betty when I mentioned her name, but she was our certified addiction recovery coach number one. 
and we look forward to celebrating her and her co-certificates later this year. But the New York Certification Board is not a standalone organization. It's actually a division or a department at ASAP NYS. ASAP is Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Providers of New York State. It's, if you like, a trade association for professionals offering services across the prevention, uh, treatment and recovery spectrum, obviously including peer recovery uh, professionals. Uh, ASAP is a standalone 501c3 and we're uh, at the New York Certification Board. We're proud and delighted to be part of an organization which has served the field and the community for more than a quarter of a century. That's incredible. And how long have you been with them, Ruth? Um, I joined the field in uh, 2014-2015, and that was actually pretty much as a result of relocating to New York uh, City. I mean, I had had it in mind. I've been a big city girl my whole life. um, (laughs) And I've had it in my mind that the city uh, of cities, um, for a 20th century gal at any rate, um, (laughs) is unquestionably uh, New York City. And, uh, you know, sort of I moved here for for the beat of the city. Um, But (laughs) I love that. Of course. um, uh, And and here I am now broadcasting to you today from uh, beautiful Brooklyn, where the beat lives on. (laughs) And um, uh, I brought off, obviously, of course, I brought my, you know, sort of my personal history and my professional background with me when I came Mm -hmm. to New York City. Um, I've been a trainer in professional development um, and in coaching. Uh, for quite some time, um, certainly as long as ASAP has been an organization and the International Coaching Federation has been an organization, both of them established in the mid-1990s. And when I moved here to New York City, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a trainer, but I wanted to be a trainer with a specialization in uh, recovery uh, Mm -hmm. and very specifically in recovery coaching. Um, so that's how I became involved. Um, I trained up in a core a curricula, very specifically the CCAR Recovery Coach Academy, which I think is a tremendous and terrific primer. And I've mm-hmm. had a lot of fun training that around the state uh, for the last, whatever it is now, six, seven years. Um, I joined the New York Certification Board team at ASAP um, in order to provide really communications uh, in the, within the uh, the recovery community and to other stakeholders, that would be employers, supervisors, the coaching profession, um, uh, obviously some of the other players like state agencies, like national agencies. I provide uh, collaterals and um, original presentations and training materials. I spend a lot of my time um, interacting with folks who have some level of interest in the peer recovery profession. So Mm -hmm. I, I love it. I love what I do. I love connecting with people who are all motivated 
um, with wanting to make a difference with folks who uh, are looking to build, as we would say, in the language of uh, our profession, uh, individuals who are looking to work with people who are uh, themselves looking to build recovery capital. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, you know, sort of what a fabulous mission for individuals, uh, addiction recovery coaches, recovery peer advocates. What a wonderful mission. And it's my honor and privilege um, to serve uh, such individuals and uh, and other stakeholders um, in our shared mission, which is, of course, recovery. Yeah, I love that. For the certification board, is the primary focus standardizing and certifying folks in the state of New York? Um, yes, the primary focus is uh, New York State, but um, but we also have some certifications that extend beyond uh, state boundaries. Our mission is to certify the peer recovery profession. Um, our mission is not... Uh, state-defined, because, of course, we're a standalone, um, not non-profit. Um, mm-hmm. So our reach is beyond uh, state borders, although primarily our focus is on New York State, of course. But our Certified Addiction Recovery Coach certification, for example, um, is recognized um, outside of New York State. It's a certification that tells uh, folks anywhere that I'm a competent and ethical professional with a transparent and accountable practice as a recovery coach. And that's a message that transcends uh, state boundaries. And we've been offering that credential since uh, since 2012. Um, Our most recent, that's our original uh, certification that we've offered Mm -hmm. continuously for 10 years, Our most recent certification introduced last year, 2021, is the Veteran Supported Recovery Credential. And this is a a specialization or an advanced uh, certification that's available for any peer who holds an initial level certification from us or from any comparable uh, body around, uh, around the country. Um, And that obviously is designed, that role is obviously designed to work with uh, individuals looking to build recovery capital uh, from the perspective of having served in our country's military and um, facing specific or specialized challenges arising from that direct experience. That's really neat. I haven't, that certification is new to me. I haven't heard of that, but obviously needed for our community? Um, Well, we hope that it will have value um, nationally. Again, that same value that any uh, certification has, identifying me as competent and ethical in that role. And it's a shorthand for employers, for potential clients, uh, for the general public that, um, you know, sort of that there are peer recovery professionals who have a specialization in working with veterans. So we're very hopeful that 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 is a role that will resonate at a national level. 
you keep mentioning at a national level. I'm wondering, have you seen um, your organization's reach grow and do you see it growing more as far as its reach goes? Well, the New York uh, Certification Board is obviously primarily focused on New York State. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's that's very clear. It's very clear where our roots lie. Um, the very specific local uh, nuance that you know, sort of that we have some expertise in, um, mm-hmm. and of course, there's a very symbiotic relationship within ASAP between provider members of ASAP. Um, and uh, our peer certificates who work for many of those members. So um, that's given rise to a New York State-specific conversation uh, Mm -hmm. between uh, program managers and supervisors on the one hand and uh, peer recovery professionals and trainers on the other side of the table, if you like. And that's, I think, a very significant service uh, that we're providing to the field generally um, in New York State. ASAP is committed to that continuum, uh, prevention, treatment and recovery. And um, ASAP members and NYCB certificates um, are all participant um, in that uh, continuum of care within New York State. So that is absolutely our primary focus Mm-hmm. and the organization at large's primary expertise. Uh, within the certification department, um, we're also primarily focused on uh, the New York State workforce and uh, helping to support um, the, the skills of that workforce. Um, we established in 2020, we established, for example, a, a trainer registry, Um, Membership uh, in the trainer registry is statewide, um, and it's for individual trainers, um, experienced and talented trainers who are dedicated to training the next generation, if you like, of peer recovery professionals. So this is quite a state-based community that we have at ASAP and at the New York Certification Board at ASAP, and that is most certainly uh, our primary focus, but not our exclusive focus. Sure, that's fair. I'm constantly blown away with how robust you all seem to be, the robust level you seem to be working on. Have you, one of the main focuses of the Center of Excellence is the professionalization of the peer workforce. Have you, can you talk a little bit about that within the state of New York, how you've seen that shift? Um, Certainly, uh, certainly, Shannon. Um, First off, when I came into this field six, seven years ago, whenever it was, Mm -hmm. um, I heard peers referred to as supports. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't have a background in um, in public systems or public the public health system. Um, you know, sort of I don't understand what drives the public health system. I know individuals who are uh, highly, deeply motivated um, for the common good. But mm-hmm. at a systems level, I don't understand any of that stuff. So when I heard people referred to as supports, 
my mind went immediately to, to you know, sort of support, supports. You mean like a wheelchair <laughs> support? <laughs> and, um, and I'll be perfectly honest with you, Shannon. It offended me to think that individuals who have, are investing their time, their talents, um, uh, their training, their expertise in helping people build recovery capital. It offended me that such individuals would be referred to by a word which to me describes a wheelchair. <laughs> a wheelchair is a wonderful invention, but it is an inanimate object. Mm-hmm. And to refer to a dedicated professional as an inanimate object, that really did not go over well with me. So the first thing that I did was I took a look at, you know, sort of who are peer recovery professionals? I don't mean demographically necessarily. I mean, in terms of how are we defining a peer recovery professional? And I looked at three, the three core characteristics that define any profession. And I realized that these core uh, characteristics apply to peer recovery professionals as well. And as soon as I made that case for myself, I've insisted on referring to individuals who are, uh, for shorthand, called peers. I've insisted on referring to them as peer, referring to us. I'm a certified addiction recovery coach. Um, Mm -hmm. I've I've insisted on referring to us as peer recovery professionals. So let me break that down. The peer recovery profession, to become a professional, you must have practice specific training so that you know what you're doing in the role. You know what you're doing on the ground. You know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you meet with uh, a client or a patient, another individual, you you have you have that training that it assures your performance. You're also bound by a profession-specific code of ethics. Um, and when I say that you're bound by a profession-specific code of ethics that assures your accountability. I mean that uh, a certified uh, organization within any profession has the power of consequence. Mm. If you complain, if you complain that I have behaved unethically in my relationship with you as an addiction recovery coach, you can complain to the New York Certification Board and say, this uh, this uh, individual is acting unethically and the board has the power to impose sanctions on me, whether requiring me to take further training all the way up to actually stripping me of my certification. 
This is standard operating procedure in any profession. Nothing special here. Standard. Mm-hmm. And because, of course, every profession is going to police itself, if you like, to assure accountability. And then the third piece or the third core characteristic of uh, any profession is role-specific credentialing. You have that practice-specific training. You're uh, you're signed up for that profession-specific ethics. Now put it all together into a role-specific credential, um, which assures competence. Um, Certification is uh, awarded to candidates demonstrating role competence per standards developed by the credentialing board or the credentialing authority. Again, standard operating procedure in any profession. Um, And each of those uh, uh, three core uh, characteristics apply in the peer recovery profession or I should say, first off, apply to peer uh, recovery practitioners. And if they apply to peer recovery practitioners, then it is clearly the case that peer recovery is, in fact, a profession. And peers are not supports. They are professionals. QED. (laughs) Well, Ruth, uh, we're getting to the end of our time and I don't want to cut anybody short, but if you would like to share any plugs for the certification board or how folks can get connected to you or the organization, how might they best do that? Sure. Thank you, Shannon. Um, ASAP executive director, John Coppola, um, issued this uh, statement some years ago which we've all taken to heart at ASAP and at the New York Certification Board. John Coppola says, we are committed to excellence in everything we do. And that's the standard that you and our certificates and uh, stakeholders and the general public um, are invited to expect from every one of our team. Excellence in everything that we do and excellence in the in our policies and procedures, and excellence in our certification products. We invite you to connect with us um, via the ASAP website. That's A-S-A-P-N-Y-S dot org. You know from that dot org, 501c3, we're a nonprofit. ASAP NYS all one word, um, dot org. My email address, which is the very best way of connecting with me, is my name, first initial um, and my last name, at asapnys.org. So let me spell that out for you. R-R-I-D-D-I-C-K at A-S-A-P-N-Y-S dot org. Any question, big, small, indeterminate size, quick question, slow question, bring them on. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) Ruth, thank you so much. 
Thank you, Shannon. A pleasure. Thank you for connecting with us, listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org or wherever else you find your podcast. And if you're interested in becoming one of our organizational stakeholders, you can find that on our website as well. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsements by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.